When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to another Venice Film Festival Dispatch, and I'm so happy to have with me Raphael Abraham, your critic, editor at the Financial Times. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much for inviting me. So I just want to say to the listeners again, we are outside in Venice, so there's going to be ambiance. We're in a very nice bar Beppi here uh, on the Lido having an Aperol. So yep, the sound we're having of a good time. Vespers in the background. Helicopters. Helicopter. I guess Timmy's back in town. <laughs> <laughs> So this is what we're going to talk about. Um, we've seen four films together recently. So Luca Guadagnino's cannibal road movie, Bones and All, with Timothy Chalamet. Laura Poitras' documentary, The Beauty and the Bloodshed, which is basically about the photographer Nan Golden and her battle against the billionaire Sackler family, the opioid crisis infamy, you know, that family. Yeah. Paul Schrader's new movie, Master Gardener, and Andrea Palaoro's uh, film with Trace Lucette, which is called Monica, which is the, I believe, the first film with a trans actress in the lead in Venice. Is that right? I didn't even realize that. Yeah. So that's what I thought we'd talk about. But I have to begin with the first question, and that's thoughts on Timmy on the red carpet. <laughs> oh, Timmy on the red carpet. I actually didn't witnessed Timmy on the red carpet. What, You're what the I, only one. Am I the only one? <laughs> I was left out. I didn't queue up for eight hours like some of his fans. But what I did get is coming out of the screening of the film we both saw was I heard these shrieks, these, you know, sort of screams coming amazing. from the, the, the boat stop. And uh, and sure enough, it was Timmy. There was chants of Timote, Timote. And uh, I didn't actually catch sight of him, but he must have been there. Cause he, on the red carpet, he was in a wonderful backless uh, red ensemble oh, with red. Uh, all shiny and sparkly. Mm, and how very fitting for the, the blood yes. blood red content of the film. I was there at 5.50 in the morning because I did a live thing for TV and they were sleeping there, all the fans. I think, I think you purposely got up at 5.50 just I so you could <laughs> catch sight of Timothée. And I stayed there all day. <laughs> <laughs> But we're going to talk about this movie. So this is the first movie since the Call Me By Your Name incredible success that he had with Luca Guadagnino. This, as I said, sort of cannibal road movie. Tell me a little bit about the movie and what you thought of it. Well, I mean, I, I was, I must say, I wasn't particularly drawn to the idea of these, you know, of a, a sort of cannibal road movie, especially given uh, things that have been in the press recently, which. Uh, connected with Mr. Guadagnino His co-star and Call Me By yes, Your Name so exactly. Army Hammer's cannibal fantasies Co-star, yeah, Army Hammer um, 
we should say allegations that yes. have been made it seems to there are suggestions that some kind of cannibalism fetish is involved but he's i think he's denied all of this but oh, yes. we should probably say for legal legal sake but it was just you know it was such a strange way going into the film with all those thoughts of you know this kind of real life scandal brewing and i mean guadagnino said this has nothing to do with and I don't him think making the film everything. no and it pre i think his involvement in trying to adapt this book it's based on a 2016 sort of young adult novel um and that so that predates any of this any of these bizarre revelations so but you know wasn't didn't sound particularly like my cup of tea um but um it's i mean it really centers on as much as timothy is obviously the big the big name it's uh really concerns a, a young woman called marin who's uh living with her dad initially in I forget some kind of somewhere in sort of uh, you know sort of. I think it actually starts in Virginia. Virginia, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they move around a yes, lot. Yes, yes, that's the sort they, of thing they go from Virginia yeah, to, Maryland, to Maryland and then yeah, mid. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, quickly becomes apparent that she's got uh, some very unsavory habits. I, mean, I think it's not a spoiler to say she kind of oh, no. chews somebody's finger off within the first few minutes of the film, um, and then what transpires is this, this, this strangely romantic road trip where she meets various characters including Timothée's character Lee who's this kind of cool young slightly punky drifter it's all set in the in the very late 80s the kind of tail end of Reagan's America um, and she also meets Mark Rylance who's this very nauseatingly slimy figure who uh, wants to take her under his wing so um so they sort of meet each other these are all the cannibals can smell each other out um and so that's who she sort of meets on the way trying to find her mother and she i have to say is so great the actress who plays taylor russell Russell, who plays this man she's was the best part of me in the first 15 minutes her sort of introduction into the movie where that was a a great start of the film yeah and and the way it's played, you know, absolutely straight. I mean, it's you know, it's a very believable world. It's just that she has this uncontrollable impulse to eat human flesh, and and it's her sort of awakening. I mean, the metaphor is quite obvious. Yeah. I mean, the metaphor of addiction and poverty and and disillusion, and that there's no hope for them to get out. For me, I was thinking of Gus Van Sant and things like um, my own Private Idaho, which were my sort of movies mm. and my thing. Mm. But it still really worked for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose, I suppose, especially given that kind of 80s setting, it kind of brings to mind some of those kind of 80s kind of, you know, outsider coming of, coming of age movies. Uh, but it also made me think of the um, uh, Raw, the Julia oh, Ducournau's right. cannibal mm-hmm. film, of, well, film about these kind of cannibal young women. Uh, and, and similarly sort of, you know, set in a very realistic sort of milieu. Why do you think cannibalism is such a it's so thing? Involved. <laughs> well, partly it could be just because sort of you know de- uh, um, vampires have been done to death, and yeah. then we had werewolves, and so cannibals kind of that's all that's left on the These on the so table. These are so slobbery. Yeah, they are. Vampires are a little bit more. So you were you were less offended by the cannibalism, but the messy eating was <laughs> messy re- really upset. I you. actually had a mom moment where I was like, maybe if you use a little towel. <laughs> they need bibs. They need to wear. Yeah. Well, at least Mark Rylance had the decency to strip down to his pretty nasty uh, wife front yeah, underwear, yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> didn't make it any more palatable. Yeah, no, it's, I, I think it's probably 
it needs to be said that it's pretty strong meat. It is. It's not going to be for everyone. You've got to go in with a pretty strong stomach. But but it's really you. I I sort of felt found myself forgetting about the grossness of of the whole thing, and you know you kind of they they become very sympathetic figures on the whole. And yeah. uh, you know he's got this definitely got this sort of sympathy for the the diabolical. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which which yeah ultimately in the end that's kind of what I came away with. I was quite touched by the whole thing. You know. Mark Ryland's character was perhaps the least interesting for me. It was he does that character once in a while, sort of over the topish. Yeah, yeah. Found him very sort of golem-like, actually. You know, he sort of talks about himself in the third person a lot. And Sully wants to eat. Yeah, and then I noticed at one point she was reading Tolkien. I thought, oh, maybe that's oh, a kind of conscious reference. Um, but yeah, it is. I mean, look. Um, Mark Rylance, uh, you know, sometimes gets on my nerves because he's, you know, sort of mumbles his way through films. I thought, I thought it was kind of an interesting creation, but it, yeah, he is more the sort of stock villain, you know, familiar from 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 this kind of literature. Um, but but on the whole, brilliantly acted, as you say, Taylor Russell, absolutely she, terrific. No, you were familiar with her. I wasn't. I have hadn't seen the series. I think she's gonna. They're just gonna swoop her up and. <laughs> And the chemistry with Timothée really worked well, you know. Um, I'm sure this is, you know, this is this is the film that all the Call Me By Your Name faithful have been waiting for, I think, you know. But there's a lot of so 13, 14-year-olds who are going to be seeing a lot of gore here. That's true. <laughs> yeah, maybe we're kidding ourselves if we think they're not already watching oh, yeah. pretty, pretty strong stuff. They're all done Squid Game My already. My son's <laughs> all of nine and, you know, already sort of watching fairly gruesome stuff. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Exactly. <laughs> Let's move on to Laura Poitras' documentary, The Beauty and the Bloodshed, which is... The story, it's kind of two stories. It's the photographer, um, Nan Golden, who one part of the story is sort of about her trauma, a childhood trauma that happened to her and how she ended up so in 80s New York amongst artists and AIDS crisis and how her photography evolved. Um, and then about her addiction to opioids. And after that, that led to her starting an organization called Pain, where they do actions and protests against museums that take the Sacklers' money in the Louvre, the Met, the Guggenheim, the biggest of the big. I have to say, I was really taken by this documentary. In the last half of it, where um, I don't think it's a spoiler because it did happen, where there are actual trials where the victims, half a million Americans died, have died thus far of opioids funded by Purdue, which is the Sackler family, where the victims talk to several members of the Sackler family as part of a settlement. I almost couldn't control crying. 
thing. I mean, we've seen tons of Sackler things. We've read the books and things, but this was something else. How about you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Likewise, I found it incredibly powerful. You know, this is one of those films that showed quite late last night. You know, you go in at screening at 10 o'clock. You've already watched two or three films that day. Um, but, you know, this just was absolutely gripping from the beginning till the end. Um, I found it incredibly powerful. And yeah, as you say, the way it weaves together these two things. So the personal story of Nan Golden and going right back to her childhood, um, which, you know, it turns out was a, an extremely difficult, traumatic one um, and carrying through her whole life to to this battle against the Sacklers. And what I thought it did brilliantly was personalize that whole issue of the opioid crisis. So rather than the, you know a big broad brush documentary telling us about how terrible the opioid crisis is and the evils of the Sackler family, it, it, did, it did that very effectively, but it tied it to you know, an individual story um, brilliantly and showed us you know, why someone like her ends up addicted to opioids and the whole backstory and you know made it you know you could personally relate to it very easily you know even if you haven't gone through some of the terrible things she did but also of course visually it had this gift for laura poitras the documentary maker her incredible art her art since her art is her friends and her her life yeah exactly so usually in, you know you obviously you, in a lot of documentaries you end up with these talking heads and you know, incidental photography there was nothing incidental here it was you know she's been documenting her whole life since she was i think in her teens you know with this incredibly self-exposing honest photography of her own life and all the people that she's right, right. grew up with and lived with and so you know you think they didn't have to go looking for 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 sort of visual documents it was there you know and really some of it very very shocking and powerful and this this narrative about her family and her sister um who ended up in a psychiatric facility thanks to her parents you know so the way it wove those two things together i thought was was brilliant it was it was brilliant and unexpected and she's lost so many people along the way to so many things that the government and that powerful people you know from the aids crisis from drugs from everything else that could have been in place yeah yeah and and in in a you know as much as she went through incredibly difficult things she's you know she's the lucky one in this she and she portrays herself as the lucky one who who found this cult counterculture that she could you know be involved with and that sort of saved her and and but how she's now using all that experience and you know all these people she's met along the way to now help her you know in this cause again against this this huge pharmaceutical um company um and yeah incredible what what they've achieved you know it's it's uh i mean we've been you know this has been covered in in, in my newspaper f obviously for for many years and and it's it's incredible to see this little group got the louvre to yeah. say no to a huge million dollar donation yeah 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 i mean in, and then you know in london we the national the national portrait gallery was the was the first one to refuse any more sackler money and tate and you know various other uh, various other organizations and and actually now in you know and we're sort of i think you could say sort of partly off the back of this we're seeing other companies 
being rejected you know so bp you know the 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 oil giant you know has uh, has now you know the um tate is it tate wait no national i think it's the national portrait gallery is has broken ties with with them you know so there's this sort of imperative to not no longer take this dirty money and and help these evil corporations to to to, to wash all their dirty money so you know it's 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 all in there and uh, but it's but it's made very touchingly personal and another one i think that we both like is a smaller film but we hope people will see sorry about the helicopter there maybe it comes and goes but it's not for us um it's the one called monica by andrea palaoro um starring trace lucette trace right? Lucette, right. Yeah, yeah um you like this one too i did i did i mean yeah it starts off kind of low-key um but it's very beautifully subtly done um this story of uh, an old elderly woman called um played by patricia clarkson who's um clearly nearing the end of her life um and this woman monica uh, played by trace lisette comes to to care for her and then we we soon realize that she is actually uh, her daughter the patricia, patricia clarkson character's daughter who's played by the transgender actress uh, trace lisette so the character started off life as a as a as her son um and it sort of unfolds very beautifully you know um we don't know whether patricia clarkson it seems that she doesn't realize that this is her uh, daughter she thinks it's a new caretaker who's come is what we're led to sort of believe yeah exactly and it's the way the film sort of unpeels the layers of this and we come to learn more about the characters so uh, the character of monica and her relationship with her her brother who she clearly hasn't seen for i don't know how many years you know in the film and and his family and um and it's a very sort of intimate small scale drama really but it it's beautifully done it's very low key um and you're expecting the sort of big grandstand acting moments the you know confrontational scenes those don't really come about uh, and, it's, and it's it's not that kind of movie it, it is very low-key but it's got this kind of powerful slow burn effect that i found by the end you know it really gripped me it feels like these are family issues how things would develop in any family where you don't really talk about the difficult yeah, things yeah it's it's i think it's very much a film about all those things that are left unspoken you know within families even after you know dramatic events and changes and you know at the end of somebody's life it's you know people in real life don't tend to have those big confrontational conversations you know and and that's what this captures beautifully i thought and it's quite a performance she was in hustlers i think and yeah, perhaps right. in a couple tv series she was I mean, a, yeah transparent transparent yeah. but she's front and center here and i mean in every way this is going to be propel her i think if this gets some traction yeah and, and yeah bought yeah. around the world hopefully yeah and 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 the fact that it's not a sort of issue movie you know it's not i kind of appreciate the fact that it's not it's not making you know it doesn't make her having transitioned the big no. issue of the movie it's it that is in you know, that's part of it yeah. but that's part of a much bigger puzzle and you know there are sort of strained relationships in the film that have nothing to do with that oh i have strained relationships that have nothing to do with that. I mean, that's, you know <laughs> you just don't talk about that thing that yeah. happened 10 yeah. years ago yeah. or whatever it was yeah but it's 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 extremely tender and there are yeah there are some really beautiful moments between um um trace and 
Patricia. So, uh, yeah, definitely, you know, one, one to seek out. And the last one I wanted to talk to you about is Paul Schrader is back in Venice. Um, he was here last year with Card Counter. He has a new movie called Master Gardener with Sigourney Weaver and Joel Edgerton. Another movie with a man narrating while he's writing in his journals. I think it's the fifth Schrader movie with this Um Let's see, I don't want to spoil too much, but but um, what can we say about this? Basically, Joel Edgerton is a gardener at a home that Sigourney Weaver owns that has sort of a public garden, and he is there for some... Should, is it open? Some sort of spring show that they're putting on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very much a sort of southern plantation-type um, home um, owned by this rather forbidding character played by Sigourney Weaver who's called Norma um, and yeah Joel Edgerton is the sort of head gardener as the title suggests he has a backstory can we talk about that backstory I think I think it would probably be a bit of a spoiler he has a backstory he has a, should we say a dark, a dark past dark he's got some skeletons in the in the closet but he's he's sort of thriving as a gardener and then Norm comes one day and says my great niece needs uh, a job I want you to take her under your wing basically so that's when this new character comes in <laughs> what did you think about this movie in general I, I thought it was absolutely just laughably bad I found it excruciating I have to say I mean I'm I wasn't uh, the biggest fan of Paul Schrader's last few films to be honest um, a lot of people really liked the card counter which in which Oscar Isaac played this this um, Iraq war vet who Matt goes around writing in journals and narrating who goes, who, who goes around staying in dingy motels sitting on his own uh, writing his thoughts into journals um, in much the same way that Joel Edgerton's characters does in this and uh, everyone taxi driver yeah, well right, we could we could go that far that I guess I guess a man sitting at an empty page is kind of maybe that's what Paul Schrader spends a lot of his well, life him. doing, right? I mean, so absolutely, <laughs> he doesn't have to look far for inspiration. But yeah, um, they they do all seem to be variations on a theme. But this one, I mean, there were so many things that were you know I found I found bad about it. I mean, the whole sort of garden setting, you know. Okay, I mean it's you know it's kind of plausible, but then there are these really I, tortured metaphors about you know planting the seed of love and uh, you know how it grows you know like a seed and uh, like hate does and it's just the writing. Some of the writing was really awful, and some of the dialogue rang so completely false to me. Um, and and the the young woman I can't remember the actress's name but the um, the the grand niece who who comes to to work with them you know she's supposed to be this drug addict from you know the bad side of town and when we go back and 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 see you know where she's from I mean that looks so incredibly outdated the way that bad side of town is so cliche yeah no it was it was it just you know i mean it looked like something out of a sort of 90s kind of mm -hmm. hip-hop video to me and she this 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 character i mean she's supposed to be a drug addict she goes through the quickest cold turkey sequence i've oh it's a couple hours is it a couple of hours in age. real life you think yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's on screen it's about 20 seconds you know and there's this kind of express lane to to redemption for well for a couple of the characters involved which that was i thought the case in you know a couple of previous films as well you know and 
it's just it all seems very confected he always he has these sort of male characters that go through some sort of redemptive at least in his own lab directorial films that he's done the past few yeah well i mean as you say going back to taxi driver it's uh, you know let's just without wanting to spoil it let's just say the character arc is not very different i mean you know yeah the world is a bad screwed up place america is you know still a bad screwed up place we have to take it into our own hands (laughs) yeah and there's a way of washing you know washing washing clean of the of the past by finding some kind of new passion i mean in this case gardening but as i say these kind of metaphors of kind of death and rebirth in nature and how you know we can always flower again you know it's 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 wow i just thought it was incredibly on the nose and clunky and it'd be interesting to see what the reactions are because i didn't like the card counter much either but everyone loved it here well, a lot more of people, people did it. so yeah. so it'll be interesting it was so funny one of my colleagues who was at the same screening said who loves gardening was like and it was a really ugly garden <laughs> <And> it <was laughs> didn't even get that right there were so many things and some of the lines some of the dialogue i mean there's a romantic component shall we say which has some of the worst I, I i just could not handle that i thought that in the last few schrader films you know these kind of r- romantic relationships and love scenes were all really clenchingly awful and this one is the worst yet i mean it's also a huge age difference and there's and why do we want to be with him i mean the whole thing is just no i mean we should probably say that the, the joel edgerton character he's a very you know uptight strange kind of obsessive individual Le- leaving alone his yeah, his background she really yeah. is not you no, know should be very offensive to her. thing yeah. in the film right is kind of that moment it sort of passes by it just sort of happens it sort of slips out and it it it, it just doesn't it doesn't you know it doesn't propel the film in any great dramatic way it's it's a kind of a very strange anticlimactic moment when it does finally come um and you know and the sigourney weaver character is this kind of archetypical evil white woman living on this you know plantation house it's just the characters seem like real central casting stuff you know so i mean yeah i i just you know i i don't know i feel for me paul schrader has has lost his way yeah and he's clearly trying to engage with contemporary issues i mean you know these last few films have all been you know um i just don't know what he wants to say it just feels like um you know someone who's a little out of step with the times should we say trying to trying to engage with things that you know where the conversation has has moved on and i you know if this is supposed to appeal to a young audience i mean i can't imagine that they're going to in any way be able to relate to 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 the you know the the young woman in this film um but um who knows you know i did meet i bumped into one critic who took me by great surprise coming out of the the film who loved it who thought it was brilliantly elegantly done i feel like we must have been watching different films (laughs) i mean the guy next to me and and i in, in the screening were both sort of groaning and holding our heads every time a terrible piece of dialogue landed so uh yeah not not one to recommend so after a great day of three excellent films yesterday this morning that was a real letdown well interestingly we we feel the same way we about do. that it's a shame we haven't got anything to argue no about. no I we'll mean, see we're, we're both seeing the whale tonight we'll see if what we think yeah. about that one Raphael, thank you so much this is an absolute great. pleasure thanks very much for having me you know a lot can happen in seven minutes and luckily that's how long it takes me to tell a story My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories, 
I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.